Confidential Podcast. Is this thing on? <laughs> I'm going to do your intro first, and then I'm just going to walk us through these questions. Um, so, John Katz, Man About Town column, appears daily on page 3A of the Las Vegas Review Journal. He is the entertainment journalist and the entertainment capital of the world. So as you can imagine, he has access to all the performers, parties, grand openings, and shenanigans in Las Vegas. Basically, if you see this man out somewhere, you know that you're in the right place. He has won numerous awards, including the Nevada Press Association Journalist of the Year Honor and does it all with fizzy water in hand. It's fizzy <laughs> water in hand right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Neon Confidential's very first podcast guest. Johnny Katz. Thank you for having me, darling. Thank you for being here. We're very excited. I feel like you've interviewed every single person on the planet, in my opinion. So I would rather have nobody here as my first guest than you. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be here. Good. And uh, we have experienced my, my herky-jerky schedule even today. So I appreciate you uh, adjusting to, to have me on. Indeed. You know? And for the record, can you just pronounce your last name for all of us who are not Greek? Okay. <laughs> And some of you who are Greek, Katsilomitis. 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 Yeah, everyone here just knows you as Kat. K-A-T-S. Mm -hmm. I learned something about my name yesterday, though. Oddly enough, my mm -hmm. uncle, my uh, uncle, uh, Davis Katsilomitis, went to Ellis Island mm -hmm. over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And he came back, i got to get this right, with um, some documentation about our family. And he emailed us yesterday, me and my father and my brother. Mm -hmm. And I need to find this. The immigration history... Um, our name was originally misspelled, or, or it was originally spelled K, no, C-A-T-S. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, and I didn't know this until yesterday. Who put the K there? It, uh, the, somebody at Ellis Island, apparently. See? Okay, here, here it is. Hergi Katzlamidis, Anast Katzlamidis, and Alex Katzlamidis. These are the, th the original Katzlamidises who came over to, to, from Greece. Mm -hmm. C-A-T-S. S-I-L-O-M-I-T-I-S. -I Same phonetic pronunciation, Katzlamitis, but it's all different. But See, I, that's so I feel like you were bound to just go by cats. Yeah, I like it with the K better. I do too. You know, it's more, it looks very strange to look like at Keystone like that. Cops. And by the way, when you said Ellis Island, I literally thought you meant Ellis Island Casino. Here. No, they had nothing to do with my name. <laughs> Christina and the family, no. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not the blonde hair. It's because we are located in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's right. That's gonna. That's my story, and I'm sticking Until, to it. <laughs> and for a long time, Ellis Island in Las Vegas, I thought was themed for Ellis Island in New York. I didn't know there was an Ellis family, and then I met, uh, I think, Christina first. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, what, what a coincidence. Your last name's Ellis. <laughs> the name of the place is Ellis Island. And right when it came out of my mouth, I'm like, duh, it's their family name. It could be any name. It's it a little bit of Ellis. Vegas history. Yeah. But you don't have the excuse of your hair being blonde is the other bad part for you. No, I don't. <laughs> I, I have a, the excuse of my hair being gray-ish. But um, yes. anyway, but it, that's the well, whole thing. Speaking of your family, how was your dad's birthday in Idaho? We had we celebrated dad's 80th birthday. Yeah. In, in, in we Idaho. had a blast. It was in Lava Hot Springs, Idaho. Mm -hmm. You've probably heard of it. 
Um, Lava Hot Springs is a township of 406 people. Wow. Or it might be 402 or 416. I can't. The numbers are really all over the place. But um, it's about 400 people. And we so people probably know as much of everyone's business as you do in Las Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, man. They know who I am when I go up there. Now. They know I'm George's son who owns the Lava Hot Springs Inn. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole thing up there in Lava. But um, we own the Lava Hot Springs Inn which is an old, uh, it's a, it was built as a sanatorium in 1926 and has gone through several iterations. And my dad bought it when it was a closed nursing home Wow! and renovated as a hot springs bed and breakfast, drilled on the property, hit water. Wow. And we have all these pools everywhere. So, um, so are there, is there just constantly people there? Yeah. Is it like a hidden gym or it's both, it? mm-hmm. you know, it, it, um, it has been a success story since about 1989 when he opened it and we have, uh, families come through all different types of people come through. If you're on your way from like Salt Lake, Salt Lake city to Jackson, Wyoming, mm-hmm. or to Yellowstone national park, you're coming up interstate 15, you just cut over, uh, I think it's highway 30 and, uh, for about 20 minutes and there it is. It's a little oasis. Have you and written a story about your dad's m- own? Many. Uh, I write every year during the holidays from Lava Hot Springs. And at first when I did this, it was just as kind of a lark. You know, I'm just, hey, I'm staying at Dad's place in Lava Hot Springs. And then I'd I'd write it and post it. And this was when I was back at the Las Vegas Sun. And I'd I'd get out of town and that would be that. Well, the township, the town folk caught on to me a few (laughs) years ago. And now when I come over for the holidays, they kind of get around me. They come over to the inn and say, oh, you're John. You're the writer, right? And they're trying to, like, nose their way into my column, And uh, I think. But I've had so much fun doing it. One, one year we made Yuli Logs at a, a little, um, a little uh, art gallery there Cute. in Lava Hot Springs. And then I, I eat at the Royal Hotel. They have a nice little uh, kind of... Uh, pizza place this sounds like a christmas movie it's it is every one every column i write it's like a hallmark card it's totally Totally. different from anything i write here and people love it i take photos of the hot springs and this the steam coming off the and it's snowing and all this sounds gorgeous it's it's really fun but i always manage to i write the column and i usually write it there and send it and then i'm out the next day i'm driving over across the state to my mom's place in boise so i don't it's like i set the bomb off and then i just get out out of there. I don't want to be around when they read it. You wait till next year when you when you go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To and, hear what they thought. But it's it's a total counterbalance to Las Vegas, Lava Hot Springs. It's a completely opposite of Las Vegas. So I go there and it takes me a couple of days to to, you know, kind of decompress and adjust to what's going on because it's so fast here. And then, you know, I, I walk literally down the middle of Main Street in Lava Hot Springs. You can just walk down the street because there's no traffic. And the and only time you could really do that here was during COVID. Yeah, right. <laughs> and there was nobody on the street. Lava Hot Springs was unchanged by COVID. It got busier during COVID. My dad's place <laughs> remained open because it kind of has a medical uh, component to cool. it. Yeah, so he got to be open during the, the COVID wow. uh, shutdown throughout the state. He was one of the few places, a uh, few public businesses for a while it was open. But it's a magic place. You know, it's got natural hot water coming out of the ground, and you meet people from all over. That's at the crazy. Lava Hot Springs Inn. So, yeah. so then you're from Idaho. Yeah. And so that brings me to this next question. I want to know how you got into journalism and like just take it way back. Like how did that happen growing up in Idaho? Well, I um, what happened with us was my dad was a veterinarian originally in, in Pocatello, Idaho. This is um, where he lives now. And Pocatello um, is an old railroad town. Uh, it's a Union Pacific hub. Mm-hmm. 
and um, it's where Idaho State University is located. Mm-hmm. And uh, d- my dad had a veterinary practice at the Community Animal Hospital. That was our business. And my mom ran the business, and my dad was the veterinarian. And after about, this was all during the 70s, this dates me, but all through the 70s, this was our life. And my dad decided to sell the practice and go and buy land uh, in Northern California. We looked at different ventures and stuff. And my, his side of the family, the Greeks, are all had land and were ranchers and farmers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And he, we ended up buying orchards in Northern California, almond and, uh, mostly almonds and some walnuts in Northern California. So I, we moved when I was about 13 years old to Chico, California. Wow. And it's a, also a community. You know, it's a mid-sized town, and uh, it's where Chico State University is. So the rest of the way, I grew up in Chico, mm-hmm. and I loved it. I loved Ch- I loved Pocatello. I, li- I lived in really cool places, and it was just we we're part of the community. We were active. My brother and I were athletes. We were into sports. We did the whole thing. What kind of sports? I was a baseball and basketball player. Oh wow! Primarily, okay. yeah. I was good at in those days. I was a good hitter. I was a good at in uh, in baseball. I was a very good hitter, mm-hmm. and I was good at basketball. I had, we had a lot of success in those days. It was never any better than than I to, to get out of high school. But at that point, we were really into it. Mm-hmm. I would play basketball for breakfast. I loved wow. basketball. We played basketball. <laughs> play it when you wake up. Play it at lunch. Then you have basketball practice. Then you play it after basketball practice. I mean, I was just, we were we would play. Man, we would carry a basketball in the trunks of our car. And if we saw hoops at, in neighborhoods when we were driving around, we'd get out and play one on one for. Cool. Yeah, it was really great. It was a great way to grow up. So um, being an athlete, and I realized that I had some writing talent. I really liked to write. And naturally, after I graduated from high school, I didn't really have any other path of life after that. I spent three months in, in uh, back in Pocatello to be with my family. My grandfather was sick in those days, so I was helping you know him through you know the final days of his life kind of. And that was in Pocatello. But that was when I was 18 years old. And I had no idea what I really wanted to do. So I came back to, to Chico, and I was informed of a sports writing position at the local paper. Okay. That makes sense for you. And I went for it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I got, I got hired to do the job that nobody else wanted to do on the sports <laughs> staff at the Chico Enterprise Record. That was my introduction into journalism. Mm-hmm. And from there, I was a sports writer. I covered local sports. I covered high school, community sports, the local uh, speedway, rodeo. Very cool. Chico State University sports, Butte College, a community college. I went to the same high school that Aaron Rodgers did from the Packers. Oh, wow. You know, mm-hmm. his, he was way behind me 20 years, but we were in the same Pleasant Valley High School, mm-hmm. you know, Viking graduates. Mm-hmm. So that means I'll never be the pride of Pleasant Valley High School as long as Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is in the mix. Um, but anyway, uh, I spent a lot of time up there being a sports writer from Chico to Redding, California. I moved up there. Was there for about five years, and then I got hired at the um, uh, che- at the uh, rec- <laughs> Review Journal uh-huh. here in Las Vegas. So th- that that company owned the Chico paper. This the paper here and the paper in Chico were owned by what's called the Donnery Media Group. So we all they knew me from that mm-hmm. affiliation. That's how I got to Las Vegas, and I covered UNLV basketball and the Speedway when it was opening when I got here. Got so it. So I got me to Las Vegas. So sports writer first. First, for have a long time. You, have you interviewed mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers before? I have not. <laughs> you know, we had this, it's a very interesting thing, because we covered him when he was in high school. Um, 
And Aaron Rodgers was not recruited out of high school, by the way. Nobody recruited in Chico, California. He had to go to Butte College to get noticed by Cal. Mm-hmm. And even then, hardly anybody was recruiting the, the community colleges in Northern California. So Aaron Rodgers took the hard path, man. Um, I, I, uh, I have never interviewed him. I had an opportunity to, a few months ago. They were, there was a private event where Aaron Rodgers was going to be making an appearance. And I, they reached out to me, the people who were organizing the event, and asked me about interviewing Aaron Rodgers. And I said, you know, that sounds like fun. And we kind of went back and forth about how to do it. And then it just didn't go anywhere. It, it, didn't, it ended up not happening. I don't know if he ended up not coming or they found someone. I, never, I don't know what the resolution was there. Mm-hmm. But I still haven't actually met him in person. And I can't recall if I ever knew him personally in those Chico days. I would love to talk to him, though. I feel like it's going to happen. At one of these like golf tournaments that he plays in in Vegas. It would be something like that. It would yeah. be on a red carpet. Exactly. It would be that. And uh, and so then how did you make the switch over from sports to entertainment? Well, I was, at, I was at the yeah I was at the Review Journal for t- about two and a half years. And uh, I left the RJ to go to The Sun mm-hmm. and the Greenspun Media Group to be a feature writer, uh, which meant I would cover everything but sports, pretty much. And uh, how I, was that switch? It was interesting, you know. Uh, well, what I liked about sports writing was was I loved um, I liked game coverage. You know, I liked covering the games, but I really liked the feature writing and the human interest story part of sports and covering athletes and and people who are connected to whatever program. I was kind of like you know UNLV's basketball team. I would find interesting human interest stories. There were great stories out of the Speedway in those days when it was being built. And I covered golf and boxing and all that. You know, I covered the Tyson Holyfield fights. Oh wow! Oh dang! Yeah, I was part of that. And um, t- uh, Tiger Woods' first professional win victory, tournament victory out here at the Tournament Players Club. I was on that. Uh, Wait, did they do interviews after the? They would that do fight? press conferences <laughs> after the Tyson fight was right. a mess. The bite night. Right. Now they they were scheduled to be that. They always have right. the, the news conference set up. Sure. But that night, that's my question. It was did chaos. They, did they do that night? The press conference. The after. interview room was blown apart. I mean, it was everything was. I mean, not literally, but every the planning was was fractured because of all the problems that we had after the fight. But I do know Jim Gray caught up with um, Don King that night. Oh, cool! And buttonholed him about by the. We had this tent set up. It was an auxiliary media center, and he got him there. But they didn't have the formal. Didn't, oh, let's bring in Mike now can after biting his I, ear. I, no, 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 that didn't happen. At least to my recollection, there was no formal setup with Mike Tyson. But uh, after the first fight, when Holyfield knocked out Tyson, there was. You know, mm-hmm. it was just a kind of a more typical. Now, the first fight, people forget the first fight was unbelievable. The amount of energy in the first Holyfield-Tyson fight was deafening when Holyfield put him down and, and they called the fight. Uh, it was so electrifying. What was year like, was that? It was in 96, mm-hmm. the first one. 96 and 97 were the, the years of these fights. M- MGM Grand Garden, you mm-hmm. know, still, you know, has fights. Um, that was something else, man. I, I remember thinking, wow, this is why boxing is still a thing, even in those days, was because of fights like this. And then the second fight was like, okay, this is what's screwed up about the sport. You can't, <laughs> you can't control your <laughs> fighters. But anyway, um, I... Um, Anyway, I got out. I, I got into um, a, a world where I was covering uh, more human interest, more feature stories, mm-hmm. and about Las Vegas. And, and Las Vegas is a great place to do that. You know, it still is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I found that I was moving more toward entertainers and entertainment. 
and uh, eventually I moved up to be the uh, features editor, the arts and entertainment editor of The Sun. So I did that for about eight years, either as an associate or the, the editor. Mm-hmm. And after um, about eight years, uh, The Sun and Review Journal changed the nature of their business arrangement to we, where we have the, as you know, The Sun is now delivered as a print product inside the Review Journal. Mm-hmm. That changed uh, my role because I was a section editor. And uh, we just were thinking about what to do with me. You know, how, how, I've got all this experience, but there's nowhere to really put it. So I became a columnist, and I became a magazine writer. On you know, in the division, so I started writing for the Weekly. Started writing for some magazines that don't exist anymore. Las Vegas Life mm-hmm. was one of them, a monthly uh, city magazine. And I kept doing that, and I was so productive and so rangy that they were like, you know, what we should do here with cats is <laughs> take him and make him put, put everything that he does into a single portal a primary portal and we'll make it a column that's like a man about town column and let him do his thing and I, I think they were getting tired of trying to edit me <laughs> and because um, it took like four editors to keep track of me so they said okay come up with a proposal I said well that's easy I said we'll just we'll just do it as a you know a, a notebook type column of my happenings around town I'll just write what happens as it happens. I'm always doing cool stuff, and we'll call it the Cats Report. Mm-hmm. What year was this? This was in 2009. Wow. So the first Cats Report comes out. They loved the idea. We had a little caricature done and a little logo and everything, and it went. Out. It took off right now. I mean, it, immediately it went off. Mm-hmm. The Cats Report became a thing from day one. It started running my life that soon. The first Cats Report, you can relate to this, was I was I'd been hanging around uh, Rush Lounge and the Golden Nugget in those days, mm-hmm. and uh, because I just uh, f- well a couple years earlier, two three years earlier, I'd befriended Frankie Marino, mm-hmm. who was playing Rush Lounge, and I went down the first time I went down there, I thought I might be seeing Frank Marino, who was in Divas Las Vegas, or at the time he was. A, it's a drag queen. For yeah, a, the drag he, queen. He is a drag queen, and for everyone else who doesn't know, <laughs> they have the same name. We have two kind of. Frank Frank Marinos, Frankie and Frank Marinos, in town, which is highly confusing. Highly confusing. <laughs> so anyway, but I had been writing uh, like notes about Frankie uh, over the years, just entering. You know, I'd see him in the listings and stuff, and, so, and I'd heard he was just nails as a live performer. Mm-hmm. So I went down to the uh, start going to the Rush Lounge. So the first. Cat's report was about Rush Lounge. I had gone into Rush Lounge uh, the previous weekend, and Frankie had, in the lounge, members of the Las Vegas Philharmonic had come in after a show that they had done with Joshua Bell, mm-hmm. the violin virtuoso, might be the greatest living American musician today. Absolutely. Just, I mean, I've, I've seen him perform with Frankie, and it's unreal. just electric. Oh, man. He did a unreal. solo thing at the opening of the Smith Center. I'll never forget. He was playing that $4 million Stradivarius. Mm-hmm. I was there. <laughs> all that, man. So so Bell was in the room. Mm-hmm. All these uh, Philharmonic players had just come in from Ham Hall. They carried their stands, a lot of them. They brought their charts in. They taped the charts to each other's backs because you couldn't really set up. Oh, they were going to jam with Frankie Marino. Also in the room was Graham Russell from Air Supply because mm-hmm. Frankie was the band for Air Supply in those days also. Yeah. So Frankie had his regular show. He had Air Supply's guys in there, Graham, the Philharmonic, Joshua Bell, and they started playing in that little lounge. And I mean, the, the power and the energy that came out of that room was un- unbelievable. It went all the way through the casino. And in those days, it was at the start of when we were starting to tweet a little bit. And really, texting was, was becoming really big then. And we were start texting around like, 
like, like Harry Shahoyan, Harry, you know, the, the guy who's he's in, uh, was doing the Elvis in Legends. Harry, you got to get down here. Frankie's playing. So Harry would show up. Mark Giovi, an opera singer, he showed up. All these entertainers, all these singers were coming in and just performing. And it was so, uh, you know, Graham Russell sang All Out of Love by Air Supply. And the place was going ape. So, so that cool. was the lead of my first Cats report right there. And I wrote that and people were like, this is happening in Las Vegas. This kind of, I said, this happens on a nightly basis for me. You yeah. Know? And that's what the strep became the strength of the Cats report. And uh, so that's what Cats is now. Which then still. led you eventually to, and I still have to find that photo of you on stage doing a report while you were on stage at Frankie's show. Yeah, I right. was writing, um, we call that typewriter night. Typewriter night. Typewriter night became, we were doing all these. <laughs> You've we, done some wild reporting. We were coming up, we, we were coming up all these different ideas about how to, how to chronicle those days, the Marino show. Cause he was, he had gone from <laughs> the rush lounge gig turned into something. And people from the, from the palms came in and said, well, let's get him, you know, a couple months in the, in the lounge at the palms. So that became Frankie Marino's first paid gig you know you get like ten dollars we'll see if people pay ten dollars <laughs> to see frankie and at the end of it he was scheduled to end the run because he was going to the stratosphere in those days he started that so at the end of that run uh we we were thinking of ways to to chart to to chronicle it and then we were like how about if i write from the stage like write a live column from the stage which i've done since i've done versions of this since but he's like yeah and he goes what about getting a typewriter <laughs> i go like a like a real like a bell and howl or like a royal and he says yeah and i go i could do that yeah i'd have to be an operating typewriter but i think we can I, it's not out of the question he goes yeah you come out you come out like in a clark ken outfit you hang up your fedora you put your your trench coat up. You sit down and you start typing. So you became part of the show. I was in the. I was on stage as they walked out. I was with the band. And then did you actually publish that exact mm -hmm. that you wrote? Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, and I'll tell you, it was a tough thing. First of all, the band decides to go three hours on this night. I mean, I was physically exhausted. But <laughs> one thing I had in account, the place is, I think Bell was there that night too. Mm -hmm. The place is over, oversold. It's just packed. And I'm looking out there and I can see like way in the back, I see my friends way in the back. I see Bell, it was Josh Bell at the bar standing because he didn't have a seat yet. I'm like, <laughs> what is wrong with this picture? So I'm typing away and it's all fun at the beginning because he's doing all of his, you know, these fast tempo songs and people are, you know, jumping around and it was really fun. But at some point you got to go into the, into the ballads. The ballads, the love songs. Yeah. And you're just sitting up there. <laughs> She's beautiful. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. And he's just him at the piano. And it's just, it's wonderful. You know, Frankie's got this great ballad mm -hmm. collection anyway. So he's singing. I won't stop typing. And Tony, his bassist brother, is a good friend of mine. He turns and he's, cats! Cats, really? And I said, and Frankie's telling him too. He's like, "No, that's the deal, Tony. That's the deal." We, I said, we type all the way through. We go all the way through. This is during the show. We're arguing about whether, and I'm still I'm saying typing. You were part boom, of the boom, show. Boom, 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 boom. And for boom, anyone boom, who's boom, seen boom. the show too, their banter is hilarious. Mm -hmm. Have you seen them now that he's back at at Palms? Yeah, I saw the opening night at Chaos. Yeah, I missed it. I Very was out of cool. town, but yeah, what a great use of architecture.
you know yeah, what a great exactly. idea that is yeah mm-hmm. so anyway that's the history of that and uh, we've we've um, and then we've gone all over the world together you know i've gone with those guys on songwriting tours and all kinds of adventures we're talking about doing it again this year and going back to uh, indianapolis oh, cool. for the christmas shows that he does uh, with the Indianapolis Symphony, and I was texting with them, I think, yesterday. We are talking about doing it. I said, you should, what you should do is, you know, we always have these great ideas. <laughs> well, okay, here's what you do. <laughs> so what you do is you walk on stage and say, good evening, everybody, and what day is Christmas this year? <laughs> is it the 22nd? <laughs> like you do with Thanksgiving. Like yeah, you don't even have any For idea. sure. You don't, know, you don't know what Thursday it falls. It no, just, yeah, exactly. It's got to be a Sunday if it thinking, fell on like a Sunday. We're thinking of doing that, but... um. Yeah, well, it's a great it's a great show over there at the at the Palms. I highly recommend it. Yeah. So, so speaking of that, um, how do you how late do you typically stay up for deadlines? Like every single night, if you've got to be out getting the scoop on what there is to do in Vegas at all times, you've got to have the pulse on everything that's happening in the city. How late are you up? You know, I get this a lot, um, and I understand why. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very fascinating because I'm like I. I live such a unique lifestyle that people want to know sort of the details of how I can counter, how I can balance uh, what I'm doing with totally. enough rest. And, right. you know, I will tell you, I'm out usually, um, I would say on, typically I'm up until uh, or out until 11 or midnight, characteristically on weeknights. Um, and I'm up at about seven. Mm-hmm. I'm usually up and out and about uh, between seven and eight. That's not too and bad. It's not that bad. Right. The, the, what's weird about it is I'm out every night. That's the thing that, that separates me from most anybody is I do, I work during the day and write mostly during the day and do all my mechanical work. Yeah. You don't see me posting that much about how I'm, I'm in my uh, sweats at home transcribing. You know? Exactly. That's like the, un, the unsexy that's, part. Yeah, that's the under the carriage. And that's the thing that, that makes me, you know, that that is the important part of the job, in fact, is getting posted. Then I shake it off. I go out. Like today, tonight, I'll probably go, I will, I'll be going to see uh, Vegas the show. The first oh. time, uh, it's the first time I will have seen the show since uh, March of 2020. It just oh, wow. came back. It's one of the longest gaps for a show ever in Las Vegas. What for property sure. is that one? At? That's at um, Miracle Mile Shops at Planet Hollywood. It's a Sachs show, mm-hmm. David Sachs Productions. And mm-hmm. the last night of the shutdown was um, March 17th, 2020, and I went to Zombie Burlesque. Zombie Burlesque actually was the last show playing before everything shut down. Wow! But Vegas, the show down the hall in Sachs Theater. This was at B Theater where I was played also that night mm-hmm. and it's just come back wow. and that's the cornerstone of the david Sachs uh, productions empire and it's a great show it's a very that's underrated gonna be a show. really special performance i bet <sighs> yeah I, I get chills man when i think of it i really do because god it was so hard to see all these entertainment professionals so friends of ours not working you know or not doing what they wanted were supposed to be doing so this show is an example of that so but uh, you know i've done worked all day was it human nature rehearsals earlier? I was on a, I was doing voiceovers for a podcast we do called Mobbed Up. I've written today. You know, I do it all. And, um, you're in a full day. Yeah. Every day is like this, man. Yeah. Every day is some, some sort of insanity. But that's what makes it fun, right? That there's just a variety of things that are going on. And, um, and so speaking of that, as far, cause, you know, you're saying how people are interested in how you can balance being out 
and having these deadlines and writing and everything. Can you talk to talk to us a little bit about your sobriety? Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I usually post um, about that um, on my anniversary date, mm-hmm. which and, is which one? is uh, January eighth, two thousand and one, mm-hmm. which is interesting because it's Elvis's birthday. Oh wow, January eighth. Easy to remember. Yeah. Yeah, what, it, what a know. day to have it, it on. It hits very I, Vegas. I've told the story, you know. I tell, I talk, and um, I, I do. I, I mention it publicly once a year on that date, and uh, and and it's only to, to remind people that it's possible to achieve that if you want to achieve it. Mm-hmm. If you want to stop uh, uh, that behavior, you can do it, and there's always a way to do it, and there's always help to do it. I needed help. I need help. From sure. My, from uh, my fellows, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but what happened is, um, this hits to why I didn't work, why I stopped working at the Review Journal in the first place, mm-hmm. was because I, I was just crazy. Oh, you know? really? Yeah, I didn't know that. that was just a nut job. And, uh, you know, no matter how good you are at what you're doing, and I will, I, I'll tell you straight away, I had a, a, an uh, inordinate amount of talent as a writer, and I achieved a lot as a sports writer. I did some remarkable things as a sports writer, but I was undercutting myself at every turn because of the way I was living. And when you come to Las Vegas and you're in your you know late 20s, early 30s and living like I was, you're going to burn out pretty fast yeah, or, get, or will... get better. One is going to happen. You're either going to f- have you know something negative happen right. or you're going to straighten up. I had to get fired by the RJ. I, and mm-hmm. I went over to the sun and I, it took me a while to straighten my life up. But once I did, once I did that, mm-hmm. m- my life immediately uh, changed for the better. The trajectory of my career changed. I changed. Um, it was a process. Um, and uh, I can just say, you know, for, for folks, I'm, there are a lot of us out there, man. There's sure. a, there are a lot of us out there and there are a lot of them, a lot of us, uh, I say this in the 12 step community who, who do it better than I do, who, who work it way better than I do mm-hmm. right now, who give back a lot more effectively. But I will say I'm a walking example of what can happen if you want to change what you're doing. And I, every I, time I, I post that on, on a yearly basis, somebody reaches out, somebody says, Hey, how did you do it? What did you, you know, what happened? And I always say the same thing. It's not a big deal to change what you're doing, but you have to want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, if you want to, I'll, I'll help you do it. If you don't, then that's none of my business. Do you feel like sometimes for people who do reach out that you might be wasting your time if, because like you said, you have to want to do it yourself. And I know that it's really hard to change something like that. So how are you in like, it's like being the voice of reason. Is there like a, a bunch of people that reach out after you post things like that or? It's usually a small number. I mean, it's not a huge volume of people, but it's usually somebody who's serious. Good. It's somebody who's serious about it. Cause if you want to, if you want to, if you see that and you really feel compelled to directly contact somebody, mm-hmm. you, you are serious. And I don't know how many people would, would, would go and investigate that world themselves. It's, it's a ticklish subject because a lot of people are repelled by it. You know, I don't write about it mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't cover it. Right. You know, I, I don't, I don't get involved in, in, uh, in that world as far as my, my writing, mm-hmm. uh, or journalistically, but, um, I think the key thing, like I had a really interesting conversation. Um, I'm not breaking anonymity here because he's talked about it himself. He's written about it with a, a man named Thomas Henderson, Thomas Hollywood Henderson, mm-hmm. who was a great linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. And he won a Super Bowl, but he was a user. He was a cocaine addict. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I believe, I think he was alcoholic too, but certainly he was a cocaine addict. And he happened to be playing in, a, in the Michael Jordan Pro-Am golf tournament one year. 
and uh, I was sitting in the media room, and he he walked in and he sat down across from me, and uh, it was very informal. And I said, you know what, um, I got I got to thank you for all your work in in recovery, mm-hmm. you know. And I kind of told him about my, myself. Mm-hmm. He knew I was a writer and everything, and he's like, really. So we had this really cool conversation, and he goes, uh, he says, what I've learned is um, that recovery is there for people who want it. We, me and you, are not put on this planet to jam it down someone's throat. Well, that's you know? right. And I said, I hear it all the time. I hear, I hear uh, I'll, um, well, I'll walk through hell with you, but I won't walk through hell for you. And um, you, right. you have to want it. And, uh, you know, if, if, if uh, recovery and meetings were for people who absolutely needed them, we'd fill Allegiant Stadium every day. Oh, for sure. And it's a yeah. lot harder here, too, in Vegas to figure out who actually has a problem, right? Because alcohol, our city just revolves around alcohol. So to me, it's a lot harder to determine or for people to admit themselves that there's a problem. And um, for me, like growing up with an alcoholic father and, and really just having to be a girl about town myself. Yeah, you're um, in the city that, like I said, just revolves around alcohol, I feel like I, you know, for me, it's important to take the opportunity to shine light on people who have recognized that there's a problem. And I think that it shows a lot of courage and tenacity, especially in an environment like Vegas to make a decision like that. Um, <laughs> I mean, really. And I just got back from Ireland with John O'Donnell mm-hmm. and he's sober for five yeah. years. Yeah. He and Michael Morton decided to be sober Michael too. Um, together. Yeah. And so everyone's like, did you drink in Ireland? You know, that was the first thing that they asked. And I'm like, first of all, any Las Vegan that goes on vacation, that's like the opposite of what I want to do. <laughs> Um, but also I was, you know, with somebody who was sober and it was, I, st- I had a fantastic time, you know? Yeah. So. Oh, I well on that. I have more fun uh, uh, being sober than I ever did when I was drunk. I drank all the fun out of it. If yeah. there was one more great night to have, I would have found it and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. My last night of drinking was at the Hard Rock Hotel. I was walking out and I saw a, a, a Wheel of Fortune machine. That's <laughs> it was like my burning bush and I just stopped and I was like... I don't know what it was. I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore, man. But wow. um, it was really interesting that way. And I haven't, I've been sober ever since that night. But um, wow. the thing I, I always tell people, I, t- I probably turned down more free alcohol than anybody in the world. For sure. Living in Las Vegas the way I do. Absolutely. But it's not that big a deal, you know? I mean, that's the thing. I, I think once you've been through it for a while, everybody's like, they get nervous. They get, and I just imagine if you were to, if you, every time you ate, I, we all, we, strawberries is a one thing we use as an example of in recovery. So let's say, that you every time you were depressed you ate strawberries every time you wouldn't have a good time you had you you ate strawberries <laughs> it's like everybody we wake up in the morning you got to have a fistful of strawberries <laughs> and at lunch i'm going to sneak some strawberries pretty soon you're eating a lot of damn strawberries maybe you should cut back on the straw if strawberries are causing you uniform problems in your life wouldn't you stop eating the strawberries maybe or, or, or curtail your strawberry intake if you can't stop eating strawberries <laughs> Please. And if you use it, if you say it that way, it's like, of course. It sounds you know? ridiculous. Yeah, but, you know, out, partying and all that is socially acceptable. Las Vegas, we know we have, we're in a lot of ways checkmate into our image, you know, but I can tell you because of the way the city works and it's 24 hour capacity, we have a, like seven or 800 recovery meetings a, a week in Las Vegas. Yeah. I bet they're Be- easy to find. Here yeah. Now. You can find them anytime. One time when I was early in recovery, I went to we tried to run the cat, the clock, me and my then sponsor. We went to from 5 a.m. all the way through midnight. We hit a meeting every hour or two. Did you we really? We did a marathon in our, just to do it. It was wild. Now, that was one I would have, it would have been fun to write about. But we were all over the city chasing meetings. By the time we got to the midnight meeting, I'm like, 
I'm all shared out, man. <laughs> Did you tell everybody what you were doing? Huh? <laughs> it was a point. That was the point of it. You know? Did you ever see the same people like a few hours later or not? I saw, we saw the, there were people who were in the 5 a.m. meeting who were at, at the same place as a 10 o'clock p.m. meeting. Mm -hmm. The 5 a.m. or maybe it was 5.30 meeting started, happened to start, I kid you not. This was early in my sobriety, but it started on 9-11. Oh, wow. That was the meeting we walked out of and were hanging out when when the attacks happened and wow. on nine eleven we were at a place called the Steps Club and I was I was there I was hanging out and I was going to go to work mm -hmm. you know they had a little bar there a little coffee bar and uh, you know or just and all of a sudden you start seeing the coverage of it that was the the meeting that started and it, I believe is still going. The 5.30 a.m. meeting at the Steps Club. It's moved around. The place is closed. The Steps Club used to be right next to Bugsy's Bar, too. That was another Oh, classic. wow. <laughs> Would people like, just roll out of Bugsy's and go straight over there? just keep going. <laughs> I actually just asked John that, John O'Donnell. I was like, do people ever show up to meetings, you know, wasted? And he said, yeah, sure. Sometimes they do. And then that's like a great time to talk to them about, you know, while they're coming down off of it. Kind talk of. to us after the meeting. We say, yeah, I've seen that. I have seen that happen. Yeah, mm -hmm. you get it. You get it. It's life. It, you get it. And something in their mind leads them to the meeting. You know, something's happening that leads them into the meeting. Sure. So. And so how many years sober so far? 20, uh, let's see, 22. Congratulations. 21 and a half. Yeah, that's it. One eight, uh, 181. Yeah, 21 and a half years. So it'll be 22 in January. That's incredible. Yeah, it's but, you know, it's like. It's, is it hard? No. Hard was drinking. That right. was hard. Exactly. On me. <laughs> Exhausting. Totally. I can, I can absolutely relate to that. Um, okay. So take us into like a typical, what's a typical Johnny Cass day and night? Well, I get up and um, I usually uh, right away will check my phone right away. Yep. Uh, see what's going on. Monday morning was an interesting day. Well, Monday was not quite typical. Today, Tuesday was, will be more typical. I see if anything's uh, been released overnight, usually around 6, 7, 8 a.m. There are these releases about new headliners, new residencies. Usher was announced that way. Mm -hmm. uh, we had uh, Eddie Vedder's show at um, Dolby Live came to me, I think, at 8 a.m. that they announced that. So I catch that and I either tweet it or, or try to post right away about about those announcements. Garth Brooks was another one. Mm -hmm. um, or, no, well, actually, that was one I just reported. That's not a good example. How but anyway. Many, how I, many I press releases do you think you get a day? Oh, my God. You have to answer. <laughs> just take a stab. Mm, the PR questions. Uh -huh. Let me tell you what my, my inbox <gasps> is right now. I have unread. No, oh, here's the number. This is, let's just put it in perspective. Unread email from, in my inbox from when I, pretty much it goes back to the beginning of my uh, six years at the Review Journal. I mm -hmm. think these are all the ones. Mm -hmm. um, this is unread, mind you. Okay. That I have not gotten I'm to. And most And most of them are from, are, are, you know, general releases that go to every journalist. or to, sure. There are a lot of campaign stuff right now. Mm -hmm. 121,000. That does not shock me. 628. But I... <laughs> so, um, that's your internal email. I don't know how many I get in a day exactly. Um, it might be, it, uh, I would think, more than 100. Really? You know, in a day. Oh, yeah, my in gosh. A, in a, every 24-hour cycle. Um, okay, so back to the schedule. You check your, your email. You see the press releases. You I get, Yeah, I do that. I get up. I get myself together, and I start. You know, I either read... Uh, our publication online, mm -hmm. I, I, I read, mm -hmm. I, I scan what's going on. I get into, now I get into my own story schedule, my own story budget, which is in a Google Doc. I open that up because I know things are going to change. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to update it. 
and um, I turn on some local news, mm-hmm. local, like 5 or uh, uh, 13, mm-hmm. usually Fox 5 in the morning because I'm because Jason Feinberg lives below me <laughs> in my How building. Fun is that? He's right below me. How funny. We got it covered oh at Newport Lost. Yeah, man. seriously. We do. Um, so I have that and I just start working. I start answering email. I start answering texts mm-hmm. that come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I start building from there. I check the you know, schedule, what I've got going, what I need to do. And uh, I've worked for a period of time. I might write uh, at that point. I'd break. I either go, uh, I'll either do something for myself. I'll either go to the gym or go over on a bike ride or take a nap or something that gets me away. And then I'll come back and continue to work away at whatever meetings I have. I'll do that. And then, yeah, you have to take that time for yourself. It's like nonstop job. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then about six or seven, I'm usually parked or filed and, um, I go out. Mm-hmm. You go out every single night. Repeat is there, cycle. Is there ever, do you have one night where you're like, I'm, I'm staying in or it's like, it's just part of part of the gig, you know, that uh, that's occasionally I do. Um, but you know, being a single person, mm-hmm. if I'm not doing busy work as a single person mm-hmm. at my place, I don't, I, I get, I get agitated. <laughs> I need to be around at some point. I need to get out and find people and commiserate. And you're saying, and you're saying as a single person, like you are not dating, you're right. not in a I'm relationship. A, I'm a bachelor, mm-hmm. you know, how can you talk about dating in Las Vegas? How do you feel it's, about it? It's a contact <laughs> sport. Um, <laughs> I've been single in Las Vegas for a long time. And I think, uh, and my, th- I, I'm not an expert. Uh, I, I'm, I'm an expert on being single myself, but I, I don't have any real advice for anybody. Do you um, do like dating apps or no? You, no. I mean, I, that's, that's what's crazy to me. It'd be so easy for you to meet people out because you're out literally every single night. I don't know how I would night. be on one of those apps because you can be any, I think you have, to me, by the very nature of the way you communicate, you have an unfair advantage if you're a writer because you can, oh, 100%. you can be anything. You, would, you could fool anybody. You could Easily. Literally cats, cats fish. I like, could that's cats column. fish. <laughs> I do that with my friends who know me in text. <laughs> You could just cats fish everybody. Just How be, you pick doing? a new no, person. I, I'm good now that I got bailed out. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, I was, you know, it was inevitable. I got arrested and thrown in jail and I'm out now. You know, you say stuff like that and people are like, what the hell happened? <laughs> like, just no. to watch the reactions. That's yeah, your just, form of entertainment. You're what? already overly entertained. So you just have to create your own fun. <laughs> you do it. You, do, you, you, you mess with people. You give them two facts and then one crazy, crazy uh, uh, non-fact something fictitious always the list is always three speaking of phones i feel like you probably have the most i mean what's the word like confidential rolodex of people that are in your yeah i've got in a your good, phone yeah i've got a good rolodex or, or you know kind of i, say, I know what do you generic, call them con- <laughs> just contacts. contacts list of contacts let's let's open it up here who, who yeah, have i called let, recently what, okay carlos who, santana <laughs> How's he doing? He's better. Okay, um, good. I, I was, you know, I was actually at one steakhouse. Were you there when that, that night when I when I got the news about? I thought you might have been there. I was at the bar with Johnny at the counter at, mm-hmm. uh, with Johnny and, mm-hmm. and talking to him and, he, and eating. And then we got news of him collapsing in Detroit. Yeah. So I literally wa- wrote the, wrote it up from of my phone from, from one, one steakhouse. steakhouse. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, he's better. But it opens up the question, as far as that goes, is, is uh, we need to know who the next wave of uh, headliners is going to be in Las Vegas. There's been a lot of talk about who's going to replace these guys when they're not performing anymore. Right. You know, they're going to Rod Stewart. And, mm-hmm. 
Aerosmith. You know, there's going to be a time when they're not, you know, the McCartneys and the, <laughs> the Rolling Stones and, you know, the Springsteens and these people who you know are going to be able to fill huge venues are not going to be performing. And who's the next generation of that? Right. we got to find them and get them to work in Las Vegas because, you know. So what do you think? Who, who do you think? Who was your, like, dream um, Vegas residency Yeah, we've been, I've been, we've been talking about this lately. You know, I think, um, and this is just off the top of my head, I think somebody like a Billie Eilish mm-hmm. would oh, be remarkable sure. here. I think Harry Styles would put together a great oh, show here. Sure. I think um, I think Taylor Swift should do a series here. I think what the, this is an example, but I think what the Jonas Brothers did at, at Dolby Live was very important and very cool. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a younger kind of, you know, uh, at least a younger uh, demographic that, that filled the place and their fans loved them. Yeah, you know, I liked I liked seeing that. Um, you know, those are the ones that I think uh, that those types of uh, uh, artists. Uh, Olivia Rodrigo, I think, is going to be heard from. Mm-hmm. She's really young. Yeah, man, I think that girl is going to have a sixty-year career. I'm not kidding. She blew my mind at the Cosmopolitan. I thought she was great, and we need more of that. We need more more artists like that right. and that level who are serious artists who mm-hmm. can hold a crowd. Totally. And uh, there's not a whole lot of them. You yeah, know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. those are all really good picks. Those are so some of them. Those are know. good. So uh, who who else on your phone though? Um, let's take a look. <laughs> let's take a look. You could probably just close your eyes and give it a quick uh, scroll, and you would just land on somebody here. just iconic. Bubba Knight from the Pips. Gladys Knight. Oh wow. Gladys Knight, Carlos, Billy Gibbons. Oh yeah, how's he doing? He's good. Good. You know, I just was reading about, he was talking to somebody on the national level about his selling the ZZ Top catalog. So my mom, did I tell you this? Polly Shore. Oh, of course. Pa- Polly's <laughs> going to come on the podcast. You got to get him on. Andre oh, Agassi. for sure. He's down the street too. Yes, um, he lives near here. But my mom did all of Billy Gibbons' jewelry and everything. So my mom, like. Really? Because we're from Houston. Oh my gosh. How so my mom knows fun. Billy. They ran into each other at a bar in Houston like a few months ago. I got I got um I got to tell him this cuz oh, we, yeah, we go sure. and have Mexican food a lot. We go eat yeah. and Cuban food food also. Yeah. Yeah, his guitar guy is also my cousin's guitar guy in Boise. That's another connection. How fun. Weird connection. Yeah, super weird. Oh, let's see here. You know, um don't want to say that one. Uh-oh. We might know what's in the works. David Copperfield. Oh, yeah. You know him and all the Cirque people. <laughs> so who's the most famous person you've ever interviewed? I would probably say, uh, as a straight interview, yep. um, Jerry Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, during the telethon days, mm-hmm. has been, is pretty famous. Um, uh, have you ever David been? David Letterman. Oh, oh cool. Uh, oh, my Martin. gosh. His um, show is epic yeah isn't it great i love it uh, i just he's so natural obviously he's been doing it for such a long time well what a just... great format it extends him you know that's the thing about being even if you're a good uh interviewer on a talk show you only have a few minutes you have two or three minutes of interview time per slot maybe you have two or three slots mm-hmm. but this extends him and right. i like that about him uh, having i was very nervous about interviewing him i the way i interviewed him was paul schaefer was in town 
doing a show with um, David Perico and some other Vegas musicians at the Cleopatra's Barge at Caesar's Palace mm-hmm. about three years ago. Yep. <laughs> it was Paul Schaefer and the Schaefer Shifters. <laughs> and uh, Paul was the, the front man and David was his MD and Noibel Gorgoy was singing. These are all f- people who are close to me and really just killer musicians and artists in Las Vegas. Well, to generate interest in the show, they brought in a special uh, surprise guest and it was turned out to be David Letterman. So when so he showed cool. up at Caesars, I got to go over and talk to him at the cigar bar that's across from the from Cleopatra's Barge. I forget the name of it now, but mm-hmm. it's still there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we went into the cigar bar. Then we went into the back room of the cigar bar, and there they were. There was Paul and their and the, uh, their agent mm-hmm. and his agent and Letterman. So, so cool. I tur- pulled around the table, and I was sitting on Letterman's left and sitting across from Schaefer. <laughs> And I'm like nervous, oh, you know, because sure. I love Letterman. I mean, I remember him from when he had his morning show. On, I think it was on CBS even. And uh, he had just started uh, the uh, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction oh, show. Wow. Just, it had just concluded, its I think, its first season. We're in the middle of the first season, whatever, wherever we were. It had just started. Mm-hmm. And I introduced myself, and he was very nice. And I said, you know uh, how you felt when you interviewed Barack Obama? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, I feel like that right now. <laughs> and he laughed. He goes, I appreciate the, the uh, how did he say it? Like he the says, con- I, f- I appreciate the false sentiment. Uh. <laughs> I said, no, it's real, man. <laughs> he well, thought I was making it up. He goes, all right. And he looked at my card and he goes, you got a good gig, don't you? And I said, I, right now, I've got the best the gig best, in the world. The best. But he knew my job. He asked me about my job. And he goes, so you go around Las Vegas and pick up all the cool stuff. And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, that is a, that's a really good gig, isn't it? And then uh, and we just went from there. That's you know? amazing. And it was a three-way interview. But you know, as far as fame, you know, he's, he's up there. And yeah. but and so has anyone else made you that you were starstruck, right? Yeah, by him. Yeah, I feel like for sure, being a journalist. Uh, uh, Al Pacino. Oh, um, and that was a whole different thing. That wasn't just an, an interview. That was an onstage thing we did about six years ago over at the Mirage. I had interviewed uh, Al Pacino on the phone in advance of this show he was going to do, mm-hmm. which was an actor's studio format at the Mirage. One night only. Al Pacino sure. tells his story. Everybody packed the house. Yeah, and and after that interview. It was a phone interview to preview it. They, uh, like 10 minutes later, they asked me, um, I said, how would you like to be, uh, to interview Al? And I said, I just interviewed him. <laughs> I said, I, I just talked to him. And they said, no, no, for the show. And I'm like, holy shit. No this way. Is 90 it was minutes. The, the night of? No, no, this, oh. was, this was weeks before. Okay, okay, okay. But, you know, I had done the preview interview and was going to bank it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, as we moved forward, they, I said, sure, you know, what do I do? And he said, well, you, go to, you come in and you sit next to Al and you talk to him about his career. And I, I, I said, okay, I'll do it. Not really realizing the, how heavy this For is going to sure. be. I've never been so nervous in my life oh as I was the night we did that show, um, and it was a show. And how many t- how many people were there? It was there? packed. It was in the, in the uh, at the time it was called the Terry Fader Theater, but it's a regular sure. where Shin it, Lim yeah, is, I've and been there. Yeah. you know, yeah. So we went in before that before we did the actual per- performance. Um, when we had it down, and I had I had worked it out, and I'd done all my as much research as I possibly could on on Al Pacino, mm-hmm. but we went in during the afternoon and did. Um, we had to move around the stage and set lights and do the sound check and everything. So we had to, you know, we were together. Mm-hmm. And so we were sitting together while they were doing the lights and putting the furniture up on stage. And I was sitting next to him and we were just talking. And he goes, so uh, who else plays this room? And I go, well, 
it's Terry Fader's room, the famous ventriloquial artist. <laughs> ventriloquial, okay. And uh, I go, he's a champion of America's Got Talent. I said, and they have a series called Aces of Comedy. Who's been in that? And I said, well, I've seen uh, Jay Leno in here. Oh, and I reeled off some of the Brad Garrett and Ray Romano in here. Okay. And I said, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a significant venue. He goes, okay, all right, all right. And he's rubbing his hands together. Goes, all right, we're in a real good spot here, aren't we? I said, yeah, this, this is going to be good. So I was telling him about the room. Then we got up on stage, and, and uh, we're walking around, you know, and they said, okay, move over here, move over here. And Al Pacino's short. Okay. He's short. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm five foot two, so everyone he's is short to a, me. He's but... five, five, maybe. Okay. He's just, I'm telling you, he was just not as tall as you might think for sure as 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 a dominant actor so we're moving around and i'm and i'm looking at over at where the q a people are going to be lined up and we're all listening he goes, hey john <laughs> I said, yes. he goes, do me a favor so whatever you want out don't take up all the light and i go i got you okay i know what this means i said i'll tell you what you st- if you move when you're moving, I'll stay two steps behind you and still call out people. This is all during the Q and A. He goes, "That would be great." And I said, "So I'll be the backdrop. I'll be the backstop, and you're up front. Is that all right?" He goes, "That would be great." So you can see in all these photos, I'm behind him. And uh, but at one point, <laughs> God, this was a night. Jerry Lewis was in the crowd. I didn't know he was in the audience that night. He called me the next day. So cool. You were very cute last night. You're very cute. So yeah, and I'd known him too. This is just like life gets weird when this happens, but. I was uh, I had brought I had four guests that I was allowed to bring to the show, and one was I brought my mom down. Uh, she wanted to come and see us, so I brought her. My buddy Jerry Jones, who's into everything. Mm-hmm. My buddy Jerry, he's a co-founder of Fifth Avenue, the vocal band. He's like he's he's my sidekick in a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. Kelly Clinton Holmes, mm-hmm. because she's a dear friend of mine, and I thought that she would get a lot out of it. Her and Antonio Fargus, who played Huggy Bear on Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> now, Huggy Bear, my buddy Antonio, he was there because he studied the same acting school as Al Pacino did in New York. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. So I was like, he's got to come. So we're up there during the show, and everybody's asking questions and, you know, firing uh, questions to Al and everything. And I'm calling, I'm moving back and forth. Mm-hmm. And Antonio comes up to the microphone and, and uh, he says, uh, Al, uh, I'm Antonio Fargus. I'm also an, an, a professional actor. Mm-hmm. And I studied at the same school you did. And he names the school. And Pacino goes, oh, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. And he turns to me and I said, what? He's not saying. It's like a side of He's not saying. He's Huggy Bear from Starsky and Hutch, Antonio. <laughs> and he goes, he's Huggy Bear? And I said, yeah, he's Huggy Bear. That's Huggy Bear. He goes, the Huggy Bear from Starsky and Hutch TV. That is Huggy Bear. <laughs> it's a pleasure to know you, sir. <laughs> And so Huggy what Bear gets, I know. What a moment I look with out Alan the crowd, Huggy Bear. I look out the crowd and I see my mom and she's got her hand over her face. Like, worlds collide, right? Las Vegas, Huggy Bear. Meet I feel like those weird Tony moments Montana. have to happen to you all the time. That was weird. That's there there are times weird. when I'm I'm like looking around, like uh, there, uh, there's so many weird things that happen, like driving around in, in Wayne Newton's uh, Rolls Royce on New Year's Eve in 1999. We did that. Uh, you oh know, my gosh. for the turn of the millennium, New Year's Eve, and I was hanging out with Wayne Newton and riding around in his Rolls Royce, and he's almost killing us because he doesn't know the rules of the road because he never drives. Oh my God. 
<laughs> I mean, he's, he got he went up then industrial on the wrong side of the street into the one-way traffic. He almost hit a car going to the Bellagio Fountains because that's where we had to be. He almost hit a potted plant coming back into the Stardust. Sounds and almost, like John O'Donnell in Ireland, so it, you might have to it, give him hell about that. I, I'm <laughs> like, are your eyes, right? I'm like, are your eyes open? Do you normally drive? I'm like, the lead of this story was the lead. And they still, they still quote it. Wayne still laughs about this. Wayne Newton, it should be noted, is a bad driver. <laughs> that was the lead, ah, and the he lead. still says it. He said he, the other day he was. We were. At, <laughs> this came up just the other night. We went to see Journey. Mm-hmm. We uh, the Newtons and I went. We all went to see Journey because he wanted to meet. Uh, uh, he wanted to meet Jonathan Cain because I think Jonathan Cain's a horse guy, but he wanted to meet all the Even guys. Even that sentence that you went yeah. with the Newtons to go see. Journey we did go. Is just yeah. We insane. met it. We met at. <laughs> just we met that. at Journey at the at the resorts. Well, so we all get together and we're backstage, and then we get to talk to Neil Schoen and his wife, uh, Michaela, and lovely people, and we're having a great time. Mm-hmm. Great time, and then we go sit down in the in the the crowd, and Wayne is on on the stage with Kat, his wife, Kathleen, on stage left. And they're up there, so I'm taking photos of them. And Arnell Pineda goes up there. And they all met before the show. They all talked. And the band came over, all the guys I know from the band. Wow. It's like guys from Santa Fe and the Fat City Horns are in the orchestra. Dave Loeb from UNLD. They come over. And, and they all come over to me because they know me. And they're right. like, Kat, what's going on? And Sean goes, and he's standing next to me. He goes, do you know everybody in this city? Oh, yes. <laughs> I go, the I'm telling yes. him the story about his own orchestra. I go, okay, okay these guys right here are Lady Gaga's horn section, all of them. Right here, and he goes, Really? <laughs> so cool. Uh, and so, and afterward, we're talking. We meet up with Neil again, and they're talking. And one great moment was Neil says, uh, You know, he's talking about his career, and he goes, You know, I left school, high school, when I was 15 years old to go off with Carlos Santana. He goes, And Wayne goes, That's exactly how old I was when I started at the Fremont here in Las Vegas. I was 15 years old. Wow. Because I more, learned more on the corner of Fremont Street than I ever would have in a classroom. And Neil Schoen was just going, he was into it. What so there, an epic and conversation. And to be, to be involved in that conversation was was really gratifying. So we're leaving anyway. We're all getting on our way out. We we parked separately in this in this uh, underground VIP parking annex. It looked like it looks like a Star Wars scene. So I go and get my car, and I'm parked behind his Escalade. Wayne's escalating, so I start backing out, and Wayne gets in the pa- the driver's side, and I stop and I roll down the window. I go, "Wait a minute! No, whoa, you're not driving. Are you driving?" <laughs> and he goes, "Yes, I'm driving." Yes, I said, "We got to get out of here. We got to clear the decks." And, he, and he's laughing. He's, "I'm gonna drive." <laughs> Oh my he gosh, pulled up full to me. circle. He pulled up to me at the Paris one time driving too. I was g- going into the parking garage. He came up right next to me and rolled down his windows and started waving at me. I have a photo of that. And I go, they let you drive. So ridiculous that but that stuff But he is genuinely a bad driver. He doesn't drive boats very well. He's a brilliant artist. Doesn't drive boats well. Doesn't drive golf carts very well. Doesn't drive vehicles well, very well. You can't be good at everything, I guess. I go, you know how to play 15 instruments. Can't you navigate a vehicle? <laughs> you know, you can play a banjo. It's not a, It's not that hard. And what kind of car do you have again? Because I remember seeing it once. It's like well, a I've white... got two. I've got an Infinity. Uh-huh. Uh, but the, the classic car the is classic a 60s. Car. It's a light blue, Tiffany blue. 67 Mercury Cougar. Uh-huh. Dan Gurney special. Uh-huh. The 1967 Motor Trend Car of the Year. Uh, amazing. And it's it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that car. Go, you got to go cruising in it. You haven't been cruising in it. I would love to go cruising gotta go in that cruising. car with I'm you. bringing it over For to sure. the Virgin every once in a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're all. my office is also right by yeah, where you Yeah, that's live, true. Too. I can bring it here. <laughs> you can literally see my office from the... I just roll it right up on the curb down here and, and just, <laughs> just drive right I, it's up. It's the arts district. There's, <laughs> nothing, there's nothing weird that I happens I could park here. that car anywhere and it won't get towed. 
Really? <laughs> I could, I could, I could park it. I, the other night, I parked it at the Nevada room over at the commercial center, right on the sidewalk in front of the door. It just looks like Nobody it's supposed met, to be it there. It does. Look, oh, it must be displaying exactly. it. Exactly. That's what people think. Okay, last question. Do you have a favorite interview? Um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I usually will remember. There are two I really will really remember. Mm-hmm. Jerry Lewis. Yep. Um, just because of who he was and how he was. He was not an easy interview. He could be very, very abrasive and very reactive. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time for me to get to a point where I could really feel comfortable in interviewing him. Even, you know, I compare it to like when you're sparring with somebody and they keep switching to Southpaw. So like talking know? to an ex-girlfriend or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> abrasive and reactive. It was that bad, yeah. Um, <laughs> if I had a famous ex-girlfriend, it would be her. Um but he was he was very special, and I knew him really well at the end of his life, um, and I always got a lot out of him. And to have him talk to me about how he felt right before he passed away was very important. You know, what do you when it's ninetieth birthday? What do you what do you feel like as ninety years old? What do you when you look ahead and you go, what is it like to be that old? He's, I don't like it because um, because when I die, I'm not going to be able to spend time with my friends who are living. That's what he said. Wow. Yeah. Um, and Steve Wynn was um, always an interesting interview because mm-hmm. he was hyper brilliant. Um, say whatever you want to about his behaviors and everything that has happened to him. He was a true visionary in what has made Las Vegas what it is. Mm-hmm. In, in terms Absolutely. of business, architecture, entertainment, mm-hmm. really important entertainment uh, visionary. And and was was very challenging to talk to and when no matter what i was talking to him about grew out to some other topic and and, and had appendages that were you know uh, completely off the topic like i interviewed him about the opening of showstoppers the show that was going to come into encore theater mm-hmm. we wound up talking about the um the groundbreaking for resorts world at the time that had just uh, happened mm-hmm. and his thoughts about that and about KT Lim and all that mm-hmm. and uh, about the future of Las Vegas and about um, he even in those days thought we would be a major league sports town. This was several years ago wow. before the Raiders had ever even kicked the tires in Las Vegas. So I would say those are the two that I really will say just were you know, uh, next level. They're, they're, they're the two I bring up. For sure. I mean, I feel like your career has been epic and the people that you meet are, are just sensational. Uh, so it was great interviewing you too for, for our podcast. And I hope that people get some, some value out of this too. Cause I feel like you're just, like I said, if there's, if you see you somewhere out, then you know you're in the right spot. So <laughs> <laughs> actually, one more. What's your favorite uh, restaurant in Vegas? Um, it's, it's a tough one. to. It's all conditional. But usually I like a place. I love Italian food and I love live entertainment. Mm-hmm. So that's my baseline. But so you'll find me at the Italian American Club a lot. I love that you'll, place. F- you'll find me at Bootlegger Bistro a lot. Mm-hmm. Those are uh, two of my favorite places. I like one steakhouse a lot for the company. I'm, I'm there a lot. I think with Barry. I've seen you there more times than many times, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can you can tell. You know, I like I think what Todd English does down here. The Pepper Club is is amazing. What he does with food. Mm-hmm. Um, Barry the Cake down at uh, Circa. There's just so many. Uh, you know, Hugo's Cellar. I like a good old Vegas style place. I like a good view. I, I 
I, I will tell you, I like, I like the top of the world a lot just because the view is so spectacular. Yep. And it's not always about just the food. It's about uh, a lot that goes into it. But when I, if I have to have, uh, you know, take someone to dinner and, uh, and show them a, a Vegas night, it's usually Italian-American club because there's an entertainment component in the showroom. There's a killer little lounge, and it's, it's authentic. Right. Opened in 1960, and it's legit old Vegas, and they old have, Italian. And live music. And live music all the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so where can people find you? Uh, and the re- re- on the review journal website, <laughs> lbrj.com. Yep. At Johnny Katz on Twitter, at Johnny Katz one, the number one on Instagram, and uh, on page three A, the print edition for you print edition fan. Awesome. Edition. And also in Neon Magazine, I do a Q and A Q&A every week for our Neon Magazine. So those are my main places. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for finally coming to take a look at our office. I love right? it. This is going to be a hit. <laughs> thank you, Johnny Katz with a K. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly.